If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And now Timmy Trumpet takes center stage as Edwin Diaz gets ready to come in looking for a save. Give the Mets credit for this one on the first day of free agency. Edwin Diaz didn't even get to go to bed once as a free agent. And he already has uh, the parameters of a five-year, $102 million contract with the Mets uh, agreed to. Now, caution, that's pending physical, not official. The Mets aren't even confirming this, but uh, this is according to a league source. And uh, look, it's the highest contract ever for a closer. It's a guy coming off one of the better years we've seen from a closer. And more importantly, it's an aggressive move uh, by the Mets addressing what was very clearly priority number one uh, in this offseason, getting Diaz locked up. They saw Diaz and Brandon Nimmo as two really essential parts of their culture. Uh, Nimmo's going to take a lot longer, hasn't even begun his free agency. There's going to be a lot of outside interest there, and we expect him to shop around. And then, of course, uh, getting to the GM meetings this week in Las Vegas, Billy Epler still has to figure out what's going on with Jacob deGrom and the rest of the rotation, uh, among many other choices. So getting Diaz... 
cleared off the deck right away and getting that high priority taken care of where there was clearly mutual interest. The perfect way to start the offseason for a Mets team that has quite a bit left to do. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, November the 6th, 2022. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media and you can show an Apple Podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva TalkingMetsPodcast.com, and I want to welcome in the good folks from the fan-sided podcasting network, as well as RisingApple.com. Well, I was going to come, and I mean, let's start with this. Did that not give you goosebumps, that intro? I know that it seems like it was just yesterday. It was actually, what, over two months ago that night in August against the Dodgers when they had Timmy Trumpets live at City Field, and everybody thought... The Mets were going to blow it because how can you do this? How can you have a live performance? Oh, my God. You know, if the Dodgers do it or the Yankees do it or anyone else does it, it's cool. Mets do it. Oh, my God. You're going to jinx the uh, you're going to jinx the Mets. You're going to jinx Diaz. He hasn't blown a save all year. Well, that's not true. He blew saves. They just the Mets never lost when D, when they let go into the ninth inning. And not only did the Mets beat the Dodgers that night and Diaz get a save, um, Diaz really never wavered from that and if what are the, what are the world series end less than 24 hours ago and the off season was kicked off and i was going to come to you and start to set things up billy epler was on with joel sherman and john Heyman earlier in the week and here and luckily i didn't do this show earlier like i was planning on Edwin Diaz, as the Mets kick off the offseason with Edwin Diaz, a record-setting contract for a closer, pretty much what the experts thought he would get, five years and $100 million, actually $102 million, an $18 million signing bonus. It sounds like it's pending physical. There's an opt-out, no full no-trade clause. Diaz will be a Met for half a decade, uh, it seems like, and we'll probably find out more details about this, but if... You thought the, these were the same old Mets. If you thought these were the Wilpon Mets, and I think there's a lot of you out there that think that, despite hearing Billy Epler speak a couple of weeks ago with Buck Showalter talking about how money was going to bridge the gap as they started to build the farm system, and as you seen last offseason, when the Mets want someone like Max Scherzer, they go out and they recruit and they make it happen. Despite all that, you still think that this is the same old Mets. Well, hopefully this Edwin Diaz signing proves otherwise. And here's where I'll start. And I laugh because every, you know, I, I saw the tweet out there how just a couple of years ago, Brody Van Wagenen was looking during the, the pandemic season trade deadline. Ugh, I don't know why anybody would take that seriously to trade Diaz. I heard that you know there was talk of them non-tendering Diaz. And I'll start with this. It. I have, and I've said this before, so anybody who's been listening to the show knows how I feel here. I have rooted for Edwin Diaz like hell from the minute he came here because I could not believe a guy 
who had the kind of season he had with Seattle in 2018, down-ballot votes for the Cy Young, the kind of stuff that he exhibited on a consistent basis. I could not believe that a pitcher like that was not going to be able to be successful and get hitters out in the ninth inning at a high level. It just always baffled me. And it was always something when he first came over. And it was either soft contact, tipping pitches, where it was like they knew the fastball was coming. And... He really always had it behind the eight ball from the day he came over because he was in the trade that, you know, St. Jared Kelnick was in, and the fans were never going to give him a break. And then he contributed to it and compounded upon it by having a horrible 2019. It is not a stretch to say that the reason the Mets didn't make the playoffs in 2019 was because of Edwin Diaz. If Edwin Diaz has the kind of season in 2019 that he had this year, or even 75% of the season he had this this year, or half the season that he had this year in 2019, the Mets make the playoffs as a wild card. And maybe go far. I mean, that team was hot. That team played six, you know 86 Mets-level baseball in the second half. They had J.D. Davis on fire. They had Pete Alonso. They had Jeff McNeil. Be that as it may, you really have to feel good for Edwin Diaz because he has come full circle. Now, the pressure is on because now he's walking into that clubhouse as the highest-paid closer in the history of baseball. He's coming off pretty much a perfect season, so the pressure is on. But have you ever in your life, and I'm only 45, so some of you who are a little bit around a little bit more than I am, a little bit longer in the tooth, let's say, we don't, we don't want to be ageist here. Have you ever seen a New York story that was so bad and was going so bad, like Edwin Diaz back in 2019, come full circle so positively? And not only come positively, be rewarded. Because I can't think of it. I mean, there's Ed Whitson. There's Bobby Bonilla. I mean, think about it. NBA, has there ever been anybody who was so bad and came, came over, played badly, and then became good and was forgiven? It usually, when it goes as bad as it went for Edwin Diaz, it doesn't get better. And not only does it not get better, it usually gets a hell of a lot worse and ugly. And then eventually you have to either live with it and similar to Roger Sedano contract, let's say. Different type of players, but Sedano was expected to be an elite leadoff hitter the second time around when he came back to the Mets. It goes down in infamy as, you know, some of the worst baseball decisions out there. Everybody criticized the Bonilla signing. They forget Bonilla was a very productive offensive player when he was with the Mets. He was with a bad team, and he was expected to be Dal Strawberry and bring the Mets back to the height of the 80s. He was more Kevin McReynolds, a a very good, not a component player, a very good player who needed to be on a good team. And you saw that when he went to Miami and played in the World Series with the champion Marlins, and he went to the Orioles, and he played with a really good team who nearly beat the Yankees in 96. So you saw how that could play out. But the point here is is that Edwin Diaz has come full circle. Now there's a whole new challenge in front of him, but you've never seen anybody to this degree go from the ashes to not only success, but having... The, one of the best closing seasons in the history of the game, certainly the best closing season. I don't want to even go to baseball reference. I watched it in the history of the Mets. And now rewarded with this big contract, of course, the pressures that come, come along with it. Now, what I was going to come to you today, and I already we already set this offseason up. See, we've, we're ahead of the curve here over at the Talking Mets podcast. We talked about our big ideas a few weeks ago. We had our panel. 
We talked about the blueprint last week, and I said this whole offseason is going to be about the big three. Diaz, Nimmo, DeGrom, and I'll even put three and a half with Bassett. Bassett, who declined, it seems like he declined his option, no surprise there, is also out there. Everything else appendages from that. And it sounds like, and we've heard a lot about it, that the Mets are trying to jump on Diaz and Nemo because they've made the most progress out there. But you have to really go out there. If you're going to compete within the window of Scherzer, within the window of Billy of, of Buck Showalter, if Billy Epler is going to make it here as an executive, you know, there's no David Stearns on the horizon. You heard, you know, even Billy Epler talked about it with Sherman and Heyman on their podcast earlier in the week. They're gonna make, if he's gonna make it, he needs to compete and win at a high level between now and when that farm system develops. Because if I, I if I was a fly on the wall and I I'm not, I bet you what Steve Cohen has told Billy Epler is I took this franchise over and I need this franchise to win and and draw. You're not putting a speakeasy club and moving the outfield fence in at City Field and trying to get Wall Street to come in and not spend. It's just not going to happen. You're not bringing Wall Street in for them to talk about the top 30 prospects. Wall Street doesn't even know who the top 30 prospects are if it fell on their head. Okay, They don't want to know about the market inefficiencies. They don't want to know that the Mets get the best value out of the roster. Of course, in their life, in their jobs, that's what they're responsible for, which is ironic. But they come to the ballpark for glitz and glamour. It's a show. Showtime like the Lakers, like the Knicks, with the Knicks City Dancers and the Garden and all the stuff that they've been. Like the Yankees in Yankee Stadium. And you don't do that by not signing elite talent, especially your elite talent. Diaz, Nimmo, DeGrom. So... Exactly how I told you this offseason was going to go, it's already started to go that way. So now the big question, and that was really what I was going to kick off the show with before Diaz signed. You heard Zach, you know, everybody says they, I'll back up a minute. Everybody says that, oh, DeGrom wants to leave, and nobody knows what DeGrom wants because DeGrom doesn't talk. You've heard a couple of things out there. This week, Zach Wheeler talking at the World Series about how DeGrom said he was happy in New York. Mark Canna coming out, not saying he was going to resign, but talking about that with the New York Post. I think one of the biggest things to come out this week that should make you smile is the quote from Mark Canna in the New York Post about how playing here in New York and playing for Buck has re-energized his career. He's learning things for the first time. That he couldn't believe that he's, you know, been able to uh, to experience as a 30-plus-year-old or a 32- or 33-year-old ball player. I mean, the fact that that kind of quote was put out there, could you imagine what impacts that's going to have, not only on guys coming back and want to be part of this, obviously getting paid, but recruiting others? So... You have everything right now in front of you positive. 
ballpark that is a really nice ballpark. Maybe in a weird neighborhood, but really nice ballpark. They're trying to bring in a higher-paying crowd. That's part of the renovation of City Field. And my gut says, and I think this Diaz signing has a little bit of an inkling of how the Mets are going to go. Mets are going to go out there and assess what the market value is for a DeGrom, for a Nimmo, for a Diaz, as they did for maybe Bassett. And they're going to say, okay, based on our metrics, based on our algorithm, this is what you're worth. It's the high end of what you're worth. And if somebody's going to go out there and beat me with a crazy contract, I'm going to shake your hand and let you go. Now, you're always going to have to put in some kind of market non-analytical synergy into the whole equation because who knows? You know, Texas gets desperate and really wants DeGrom. Maybe they go six or seven years with DeGrom and you're like, okay, I'm not going to go there. At that point, you tip your cap and you say, hey, Jacob, enjoy Texas. Enjoy the state taxes. But I also know that we're in a recession. And I'm not quite sure every team who doesn't have Steve Cohen as the owner is going to have the cash reserves to pay a pitcher close to $50 million or, if they have a $200 million payroll, 25% of their payroll on one player. Do you have a Jacob deGrom or a Max Scherzer on your, on your payroll? Unless you have very cost-efficient talent, okay, I could see Atlanta maybe falling into that. You can't have a $50 million pitcher on your payroll. You have to take $50 million and, and spend it on maybe two, maybe three pitchers. So my gut is DeGrom signs here, but he's going to want to see what else is out there. And I think the same for Nimmo. I think the Mets make a real competitive offer, something like three or four years in the ballpark of $45 million AAV, somewhere in the $180 million total deal. Maybe Diaz getting a signing bonus for a Nimmo or a Bassett or guys that maybe they want to work out a deal before they hit free agency. Maybe there's some carrot or they'll use some kind of carrot at the end of the stick with a signing bonus for that. I don't know the strategy. Maybe the signing bonus is there to help with the AAV or the luxury tax or spreading out some of the liability of this contract. I mean, not that they you know, who knows if they're deferring it. You'll find out eventually. Um, I'm sure, just like Diaz has an opt-out, they're going to offer opt-outs to all these guys because as the market changes, maybe they don't want to lock themselves in. I think this is why I never understood why DeGrom was so upset. He set up his contract where things changed and markets changed. And I thought his contract, even though it might have been light-ish for a talent like his after the Cy Young Award in 2018, it was pretty much market value or you know within the realm of 2019. Nobody would have knew that three years later Scherzer was going to get a $43 million a year deal. I never would have thought that. But I think... The big three is essential, and I really think DeGrom is essential too. You heard on – if you and I really encourage you. I always talk about the breadcrumbs. The breadcrumbs are out there. Listen to Billy Epler on the show with John Heyman, John Heyman and, and Joel Sherman. He tells you – Heyman asked him. It was actually Sherman asked him. Can you win with a 1-2 at the top of the rotation that is as aged as DeGrom and Scherzer? Well, it's been done before. Think about – Pedro Martinez and Curt Schilling. Curt Schilling was at the last leg of his career when the Red Sox brought him in to win a championship in 2004. And Randy Johnson didn't get his career going until mid to late 30s. Probably, you know, mid-30s he started becoming dominant. And when Arizona signed him from uh, Houston after the 1998 season and, and eventually paired him up with Schilling as they traded for Schilling with the Phillies, that was an aged 
1-2. I mean, what the Mets are trying to do is really no different than the Arizona Diamondbacks and the Red Sox. They want to do more like the Red Sox. You want to win a championship and compete and build your brand while you're waiting for your farm system to develop. And eventually, Billy Epler, his job, whether he if he's going to be successful here, it will not, it will obviously be about winning a championship. But if he's going to be successful and be here long term, it's going to be how that farm system develops. Because there is no way, as you sign these guys this offseason, and as this payroll bloats to north of $300 million, 320, 330, and Make no mistake about it. Some of these contracts, like the Diaz contract, I got to see. I'm sure there's no mutual option. It's probably an opt out on the Diaz part. If Diaz flames out and the 2019 Diaz is the real Diaz, or he's somewhere closer to the 2021 Diaz, who blew games down the stretch as the Mets were trying to get back into the race after a horrible August, this is going to look bad real quick. Now, Araldus Chapman, you got three good years out of. Maybe two and a half. After the pandemic season, he's dropped off. Liam Hendricks has been pretty good for his contract. Closers typically have a shelf life. Diaz is in prime. He has complicated mechanics. I worry about all the sliders taking its toll on his arm. Look, you got to trust that these guys have the data. They have the biomechanical metrics. You You have to trust that you have a competent team in there. There's nothing that you and I other than top-line macro narratives, can do to assess whether it's good or not. It's like the Zach Wheeler contract. I've always said I don't think Wheeler's mechanics are great. I think he's going to get hurt. I've been wrong about it. Not totally. And at the time, it wasn't Steve Cohen the owner. If Steve Cohen was the owner, I'd say, hey, match the contract for Wheeler. And if they had, they would have had, you know, I mean, they they probably don't have Max Scherzer right now. Maybe they do. Who knows? But they certainly don't have Chris Bassett. Uh, You know, Sometimes there's going to be risk. If you're waiting for the perfect pitcher with the perfect health to sign long-term, you'll never sign anybody. I've always said if you sign, I would sign pitchers no more than three years and hitters to no more than five. I wouldn't sign any elite talent. Now, I was wrong that Scherzer got a three-year deal, but I was, I was concerned about Scherzer because of his age and all the Nixon bang, you know, tweaks and bangs and all that other stuff. So um, I have to tell you why I'm confident about them going out and signing their big free agents who they want. And I know you're going to roll your eyes, but really read the Canna article in the New York Post. It's Buck. Buck is such a big part of it. It's Cohen and Cohen's money. I mean, Cohen having dinner with Diaz. Cohen really trying to partner and and understand his players and have them know what he's planning and his commitment. I mean, a lot of these guys, especially guys like DeGrom, who've been here since the age of time, uh, probably have a bad taste in their mouth with prior management and a distrust that it'll be a functional organization. They know the guy's rich, but can he run an organization? Getting to know him in his environment outside of the ballpark is the perfect way to do it. But Buck is such a big part of it. I mean, listen to how Epler talked about how Diaz really liked how Buck used him. You think it's a coincidence his best season of his career happens with Buck Showalter as the manager? I mean, we heard even Dave Wallace, who was a pitching coach under Buck, talk about how great he is at managing a bullpen. Now, you and I think maybe he didn't push Diaz too much throughout the year, uh, but Diaz doesn't seem to agree. I mean, he hardly pitched the last month of September. They were waiting for the playoffs to use him. I mean, he could have burnt him out, especially when DeGrom and Scherzer went down and, and they had a big lead that was dwindling. You knew that the race was going to get close. You knew the Braves were a talented team. You, and, and when you when you win 101 games and you're playing for the division down to the, the pretty much the last day, you, you need your closer a lot. 
And it was a team that at times, because of their brownouts on offense, played a lot of close games that could have went either way in the ninth inning. I think Buck is a big part of that. I mean, listen to what he kind of says. He's so consistent with who he is and the attention to detail of the game, the things he thinks about on a regular basis and shares with you when you're in the dugout or preparing for the game. Players want competency. Players want to be challenged. They want to learn something new. They want a manager that's got their back but is going to hold the team accountable. All it is is about you doing your role to the best of your ability and – being selfish within the concept of the team. See, baseball, you can be selfish. If you're in the NBA and you're a chucker or you have a flawed game, like just look now, like Julius Randle with the Knicks, you, you can't, you got to work within the framework of the team. Everybody else plays off of each other in a basketball game. Hockey, too. Maybe less so in the NFL. But in baseball, you could be as selfish as you want in the context of being the best player you can be, to a certain degree. I mean, you, you know, there's guys you can move the runner over, situational hitting. Well, that's all really gone by the wayside for the most part. But you get my point. As long as you come to play every day, put the work in to be the best player you can be, to get paid the biggest amount of money that's out there, you know, you're, you're going you're gonna to be tolerated in a clubhouse. I mean, it's as simple as that. It's so much more than X's and O's. See, Buck was a culture changer on many, many levels. He created a calm and a competency that they hadn't had in the dugout for nearly two decades. And if you don't think that these guys don't recognize that, Steve Cohen and his money is huge. But just a year ago, nobody wanted to work here. and Nobody wanted to play here, I was told, including a former Met and a guy from Stony Brook, New York, just a stone's throw from where I'm doing this show right now. Steven Matz turned them down to go to St. Louis. Everybody's nirvana when it comes to baseball. It's about connecting with the players, making them understand who they are, their roles, selling them on being within the, within the context of the, of the team. I don't know what happened there. I think I think I got a, I think some kind of audio got popped into my headset. So be excited, Mets fans. You have a deep-pocketed owner. You have an organization that's got a plan. I think I've laid it out. I, I don't know a damn thing about the plan. I haven't been told anything. But I feel like the plan is to go out and grab their top free agents and start the offseason there. Now, I'll get to that after the break. I'll get into there is a trade-off on that. And then um, you basically go out and, and you have a manager that you can recruit people that want to come play here. You don't think other players are saying, hmm, that looks like a pretty cool place. They want to get paid, of course. The money's going to be there no matter what. If you want to get paid and you're an elite player, you'll get paid. And when you're in that position, like Max Scherzer was a year ago, you want to make sure you go to a place where you can actually have some fun and feel like you're you're making a contribution, especially at the end of your career when at this point you've made all the money and you're continuing to make money. You've made the all-star games and the Cy Youngs or the batting titles, and now it's about putting that trophy on the wall so that you can have that memory everlasting and go down in the Pantheon. It's as simple as that. So let's take a quick break. When we come back, 
How are the Mets going to do this? Are they going to have a $500 million payroll? We talked about that. I also have a scenario where if Nimmo decides to go elsewhere, there was talk about Starling Marte in center field. Not sure how I feel about that. And we'll get into more about the offseason as the hot stove is just heating up. I mean, not even 24 hours from the end of the World Series. I mean, Game 6 was last night, and the Mets are off and running. Daniel Vogelback's even back. Told you he would be. Too much of a value contract not to be. You're listening to the Talking Mets Podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Bobby Valentine was a polarizing figure during his time as Mets manager. Who better to give us a balanced view of how it was playing for him than Hall of Famer Mike Piazza. Charming guy. Sweetheart guy. Obviously, when you meet him, he ingratiates you. You feel... And it's sincere. I mean, it's not fake. Uh, smart as hell. One of the smartest baseball guys I've ever seen. Extremely well at evaluating talent. Uh, now to swing over to the other side. Huge ego. Um, kind of like a, a, you know, one of these gamblers. I, I play a little bit of Texas Hold'em poker. And you're playing with these guys at the table and you're trying to figure them out. You know, you're trying to figure out tells and whatnot. And it just seemed like he was that guy that shoved in every hand, you know, and really liked to let it roll. I remember one game, I think we were playing Baltimore in an inter-league uh, game, playing in Baltimore, but he took away the DH and somehow did some kind of move to where basically took the DH away. You know, I remember all the media saying, oh, he's, he liked getting criticized so he could shove it, you know, wh- where the sun doesn't shine to people. And I think that was good and bad. And and. He used to play little tricks as far as just to mo- try to motivate me. Like I, I wrote about it in my book one day where he said, oh, you have off tomorrow. And then I came walking in and I was in the lineup. You know, I caught like a weekend. It was a day game after night game. And I thought I was going to be off. And then he had told the media before that, you know, he was kind of playing with my head a little bit. And I was furious. You know, I wanted to just basically knock him out. I kind of, you know, I grit my teeth. I got through it. I think we won the games. So I think the point is, I mean, you know, I remember Chris Wheeler from the Phillies used to, couldn't stand Bobby. I mean, and used to call him top step Bobby, you know, so he'd always be on the top step of the dugout, you know, kind of head in the stands, you know, like, hey, look at me, you know, and he had that little bit of a sort of a Hollywood mentality. I could play for anyone. I played hard. I, I didn't like always sometimes a little bit of the mental judo that he would he would do. But ultimately, as a player, if you play hard, you keep your nose down, and you don't really try to get inside his head, you, you, you can survive and you can thrive. Listen to this and more at www.talkingmetspodcast.com. Look, I'm going to tell you, I'm trolling through Twitter during the break. Anybody who's like worried about the overpay for a reliever or the overpay for any of this stuff, you clearly don't get about winning. This is how you win. You win by – when you have the money, you win by spending on elite talent. 
understanding that you're probably going to throw some money away at some point in the contract, and maybe you win a couple of million uh, more. You want to play around the margins? You want to send him out into the marketplace so that the Yankees blow him away or somebody like the Phillies maybe get you know, motivated after their World Series run? It just amazes me. This is not about the value equation. This is about winning. If the Mets are the the Mets are not in a position with the Yankees brand taking a hit, with people's dollars being crushed by inflation, there's going to be so many choices people can make, and it's not going to be easy to go to the ballpark. There is no way in you know what that the Mets could sit back, skimp on this team, and expect to market this to the public and expect people to show up to City Field. I think it's going to be tough for people to show up to City Field. We talked about this a week ago. So it's amazing to me that people are even talking about that um, and what have you. Now, Billy Epler was on, as I said a couple of times on this program, with Joel Sherman and John Heyman. And uh, he talked a little he – gave you, he gave you a few breadcrumbs that are out there. One of them was about Starling Marte in center field. I think that that was important. And I also think that how he values defense in the outfield comes into play here. Now, in a world where Nimmo leaves, Marte in center is not a bad idea. Now, everyone's drooling and saying it's all because of Judge. It, it, Judge is not coming here. You know, you didn't just pay a closer $20 million. I mean, maybe if DeGrom leaves, if DeGrom leaves... Like I told you in the open, it, it changes the whole fabric of the team. You have really to me, Degrom has to come back for this to work. You could sign Diaz, you could sign Nimmo, and I think they will. I'm more confident in those two. Degrom is, I'm, I'm confident, but the next notch below. And Bassett, I wonder how the Mets are going to view him. I mean, I would bring him back because I'm just looking at we did the whole payroll and how hard it's going to be. But Billy Epler also talked about robbing Peter to pay Paul. Didn't we talk about this a week ago? He talked about robbing Peter to pay Paul. One of those was in the context of Marte in center. Maybe Nimmo doesn't come back because the contract gets insane or what have you. I also know in order to go out and bring back your closer, you're probably going to have to play fast and loose with the bullpen. That means it's no shoeing that Adovino or Lugo or Michael Givens will be back. You may have to build that up throughout the season. You may have to have a leap of faith with your Drew Smith. Miss, blah. Drew Smith, De La Oca, maybe you'll go and he talks all the time about being opportunistic. Maybe Billy Epler plays just like he did this past season, uh, albeit with the lockout. It made it a lot easier. How Adovino signed right before spring training. There might be guys out there. Remember, we don't know how the baseball economy is going to be for everybody. It's always going to be good for those guys at the top. Um, and then it's also about Paying for the starting pitching. If you bring back Bassett and DeGrom, that probably means that you're going to have to say goodbye to Taiwan Walker. I mean, you got some people predicting that Walker's going to get $70 million for five years. Probably not crazy because there's a team that's going to need pitching and Walker's going to be the best B option or B minus option out there. And they're going to pay him like a B plus or an A. Or they're going to hope and say, you know, this is a guy that shows flashes of being number two light, number three. When if you just break it down, he did a lot of damage against teams below 500, and he beat up on the Marlins, a bad offensive team. And I think Tywin Walker has been a good signing for the Mets. Don't get me wrong. But I like him better as a 4-5 that has top-of-the-rotation upside than as I'm going to put him in as a top-of-the-rotation option. That's my thing. I don't think Carrasco's options should be 
exercised. I think you should let him walk and maybe sign him for less because I think his market you know, will be there. But I think there's some questions about health and, and how he ended the year. And Billy Epler talked about – I think you're going to – here's what I think. I think you have Scherzer as your number one and you have Peterson as your number five. And he mentioned Jose Buto. He, you know, he even gave some love to Trevor Williams in, in his conversations with, um, with the guys over there at the New York Post. So that's where you are. You know, your David Petersons, your Tyler McGills, your Jose Butos, they're going to be playing for that back end of the rotation. The Mets are going to, they're not going to, I think they're going to take more chances with younger players because they're going to have to. Whoever is a younger player that's ready, like Peterson, and that's how you're going to rob Peter to pay Paul. I think they're going to have to give some of their arms in the in the minor leagues a chance to win a job, even if it says depth options in the bullpen. I also don't think they're going to spend on offense. I think Nimmo's the extent of them spending on offense. I don't think they're going to go out and pay $25 million a year or $20 million a year for a Josh Bell or a Jose Abreu as a DH because you just re-signed the guy for a million and a half bucks, Daniel Vogelback. Darren Ruff is making, what, three million bucks? You have a pretty good platoon DH. I know you guys don't like to hear it. You have pretty good platoon DHs, guys who are very elite against the 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 other side of the uh, of the ball. You know, righty versus lefty, lefty versus righty. Um, despite even though Ruff having a bad two months here, history says that together those guys are pretty good. And they're a good value. And that's how you're going to rob Peter to pay Paul. You cannot bring back your top free agents and have stars at the elite position if you worry about bringing in a DH at $20 million per. Now, I'm not all about the Phillies. I think the Phillies were very fortunate to make it through the postseason, and I think in the end, their depth did them in. Houston was better. I mean, it's fitting. Your Don Alvarez has this awesome year, and, you know, he's the reason why they won last night, or else they're playing a game seven tonight while we're doing this. It's funny. Did the Dodgers, I'm actually going to, I know that he was traded. Did the Dodgers give up your Don Alvarez in a deal? At some point, I'm actually going to look this up. I know this is a non sequitur. He was traded to the Dodgers. He's traded in August of 2016 by the Dodgers to the Astros for Josh Fields. Josh Fields in 2016 had actually a pretty good uh, season down the stretch and had a pretty good season the next couple of years out of the bullpen uh, for the Dodgers. But they traded an elite offensive player for a bullpen arm, albeit one that was useful to them. Could you imagine if the Mets did that? By the way, could you imagine another non-sequitur if the Mets had a press conference with a general manager who didn't have a contract like the Yankees did? Could you imagine? I mean, they'd have a congressional hearing on that. So anyway, what is a world – what are some of the other robbing Peter to pay Paul? See, I'm not in favor of this, but it was interesting listening to Billy Epler talk about Marte in center. Now, I think a world where you have Nimmo in center with the improvements he's made – you have Cano or McNeil in left, that kind of little rotation. And Marte in right is a great outfield for City Field and exactly what Billy Epler talks about. He talks about above-average outfield defense. However, and I know it's his right shoulder, not his left, which is what the shoulder that he separated a few years ago when he took a swing. But Michael Conforto is supposedly healthy, and he's going to be an option out there. So is there a world where you bring Conforto back to play right again after a year off and basically have Marte in center? You could do that. 
However, I really worry with Marte. Now, you just heard he had a, a, a core injury that he's getting uh, repaired over the offseason. I knew there was something going on with him. There was something going on with him in spring training. He kind of was managing it. And give him credit. He had a great year. And, he pro- and, and it definitely, it had to impact his running game because he did not run nearly as much as you would have expected at any point in the season. I think the problem with Martin Center on that robbing Peter to pay Paul scenario is that it's going to take its tear. I believe that's what hell, uh, accelerated Suspicious's decline when they put him in center field. And playing center field at City Field, it's a spacious ballpark, that's asking a lot. And I know they said only 50% of the time, but I think up the middle defense is important. That's why I think it's critically important to resign Nimmo. And the fact that you're talking about making Nimmo the captain, I find that very interesting. That was something that's not really talked about. I think he'd be a great captain. I think he's a guy that represents the team well. And I still think that his – what really convinced me that he loves it here was that post-game interview against the Dodgers. Timmy Trumpet's game, right? That's when he made the great catch where he looked up. You could see in the interview he looked up and goes, wow, this is what I wanted to play for. Now, he could go out to Colorado and be closer to home over there, and he could go to Texas and take the state tax-free money. And look, he's a guy who's not from this part of the uh, of the country, and certainly doesn't profile from de- various things you you know about him as somebody that fits in with this somewhat progressive part of the country. But that doesn't mean he doesn't like playing here. May not want to live here in the off season, but doesn't mean he doesn't like playing here. But I think one thing you really should take away from this off season, from listening to Billy Epler, we talked about it. Mets don't have a lot of young talent. I mean, you're not seeing the the Matthew Allens and guys like this, you know, helping out anytime soon. And by the way, when it comes to DeGrom, you know, Mets have been pretty fortunate with high-end starting pitching from Harvey to Syndergaard having elite years to DeGrom, even Matt's to a certain degree. Those don't grow on trees. I know DeGrom was out of nowhere. But you don't resign these guys or these kind of players. Nimmo with the elite run creation – they don't know. I mean, how many first-round picks don't work out? You heard of a name, Gavin Shashini? I mean, we'll talk about the ones that got away, like Kelnick, who never, you know, hasn't worked out so far. You got a couple of guys that worked out. They don't grow on trees. There's not Brandon, another Brandon Nimmo that's going to produce like him. I mean, Brandon Nimmo's been in this organization 11 years. But I've talked about Brandon Nimmo when he got drafted when I was still doing NYBD, which seems like a 1,000 years ago. So there is going to be a robbing Peter to pay Paul. I think there's going to be some pain with that. I think Walker and Carrasco are part of it. I said that last week. Um, it'd be interesting to see Trevor Williams, who was cited in the interview, what kind of contract he could get with a bad team, sign him to a nice deal as a starter, and maybe try to flip him. I mean, is 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 Williams a guy that's looked at as a Swiss Army knife? Joey Lucchese's name came up. Does he take the Williams role? I mean, there's a guy. I mean, think about – you talk about Peterson – but Lucchese could slide in, give you kind of what Joely Rodriguez gave you, give you multiple innings. He's a bit of a league average guy uh, in the back end of the rotation. He was starting to pitch well before he uh, blew out his elbow back in 2021. That was a big loss for them, especially with DeGrom going down about a month later. So that's going to be interesting to see. I'll tell you, looking at some of the contracts uh, that are being predicted by John Heyman, I mean, they were on the money with... Diaz, five years, 105. Seven years, 145 for Nimmo. I thought maybe you could get five, 125 out of that. We'll see. Five years, 70 for Walker. That's a bit high, but I could see it. 
Adamana Vino, two years, twenty million. You might, you know, you, you don't have to play the market there on that. Uh, I could see that. Um, Chris Bassett, three years, sixty-six million. That's pretty much where he's going to be. Um, you know, maybe, maybe a little bit higher. You know, maybe he gets twenty-five million a year. It's possible. You know, depending on how badly somebody wants him. I mean, I think he's a really, you know, he's a he's a guy that's going to give you fifteen wins and compete. And I know what everyone's going to say. They're going to say, "Look what happened when he." Pitched in Atlanta. Look what happened against San Diego. But you don't get to Atlanta. You don't get to San Diego without a really solid middle of the rotation guy who can uh, give you innings. And he's at a point in his career in his you know late 30s, mid to late 30s, where you're not going to worry about saving his arm for a rainy day. So, you know, Epler gave you more breadcrumbs. He was very guarded with Sherman and Heyman, but he gave you more breadcrumbs. And... Uh, I think opportunistic was one. I think they're going to look to see who is running out of musical chairs out there, just like they did with Adam Adovino. I think that's going to be how they're going to fill the bullpen. Maybe they'll get a DH out of that to upgrade and uh, potentially from rough. But I think once you re-sign Vogel back, I think that's the direction you're going to go. Um, you know, maybe they could get a veteran starter on that, like an Andrew Haney. I mean, when the, you know, I'm just using those kind of guys, you know, the Mets got to do what the Dodgers do. They get a Haney, get a Tyler Anderson and, and, and take a guy with talent and bring him to the next level. I said this last week, you have all these smart people in the lab. If I'm Steve Cohen, I tell Billy Epler, great, I'm going to bridge the gap with the money. I'm going to go out there and, and spend and overpay for my free agent so I can keep this thing going for the next two or three years while Scherz is on the contract, while Buck's on the contract, so we could get to the point where in three or four years, I don't have to spend $20-something million on a closer because I got the next big-time arm that could be a closer in the farm system. I don't have to give Chris Bassett $22, $23, 24000000 million a year to win 15 games because I got the next 15-game winner. I got a guy like a Steven Matz was at one point and a DeGrom was at one point. They haven't done that in a long time. And if that doesn't happen, then all Billy Eppel is going to do is, and how he's going to save his job, is he's going to have to win in the next two or three years. Because if they don't develop, and this is why it's important to sign these guys. And I said this, if they don't develop this farm system, they're, in, they're going to have to, the payroll is going to get bloated. They're not going to be able to fill out the roster because they're going to have a lot of top-heavy contracts that even a Steve Cohen's going to say, hey, I'm at my threshold. And they're going to have to rebuild. And they're probably going to have to trade some of these guys. Now, Diaz is a no-trade clause, but that's always negotiable. As an opt-out, too. You know, so, again, a lot of bread comes out there. Pat Ragazzo of Sports Illustrated, our friend, he's been on the show, says the Mets are looking for uh, offensive players to hit the ball hard. It'd be interesting if the shift that they're doing data mining there. They look for guys who fit a certain profile. Work the count, hit the ball hard. That's actually what J.D. Davis did, but he just never hit the ball where the fielders ain't. And now with the shift, maybe things change a little bit. They have a profile. They like good defense. They like strong starting pitching. They like guys who work the count and grind the pitcher down. Over the course of 162 games, you're going to win a lot of games because you do things like that. And they have a really good manager. You know, the most impressive part about Billy Epler's interview and why Buck is so special is the story about Trevor Williams where he said, Buck said to Trevor Williams, I think it might have been after the comeback win against the Phillies in August, where he told Trevor Williams, the reason we're able to do this today, even though you didn't pitch, is because you saved bullets in the bullpen 
from the game prior or a couple of games prior. Um, you know that see how important managers are. You see how a difference maker Buck could be. You know where guys say, you know what, I got that offer there. The money's relatively the same. I want to play here. You know that kind of thing. So anyway, breadcrumbs galore. Robbing Peter to pay Paul. Get ready. Everything we laid out with the blueprint a week ago, we've already started to see that action go forward. So, all right, let's take a quick break. Wrap up. You're listening to the Talking Bits podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. It's exciting to reminisce about Johan Santana's no-hitter, the first in Mets history. But do we remember who quite literally put his career on the line to preserve the moment? Mike Puma, New York Post beat reporter and author of the book of These Walls Could Talk, certainly does. 3-1 coming to Molina. And a fly ball deep left field. Back goes Baxter onto the track. He makes the catch. What a play. And Baxter may be hurt. Yeah, and the thing was, Baxter at that point was just starting to get some uh, decent playing time for the Mets, and he had a he had a pretty good OPS. He was, you know, he was a lefty bat. He was he was starting to produce a little bit. It was the it was kind of the peak of his career there. Uh, you know that that previous two months of the, you know, because that was June 1st. So the first couple of months, that 2012 season was the peak of his career. He's, he's starting to play and then uh, he gets hurt making that catch. And he's never the same again. You know, he, he, he tried to come back. Uh, it was with the Cubs actually in 15, uh, uh, the year the, the Mets went to the world series and uh, just, just never got it back. And it, uh, you know, it, the, the thing about it is at least, you go out and you're remembered for something big. And, you know, Mets fans will never forget Mike Baxter. Listen to this and more at www.talkingmetspodcast.com. All right, we're back. Final thoughts. Um, not much more to say here. I mean, it's really get to work time for the New York Mets and Billy Upler. It's weird because I think. We haven't been in this position in so long. Like when the World Series ended yesterday, and I see the Diaz news this afternoon about three o'clock, it just showed me how far this team has gone. Because, like, I, I know I've said this a thousand times, I don't mean to bore you, but this show has existed since 2016. And for a large percentage of the life we've spent, especially the early or big chunk of the offseason until Christmas, talking about managerial hires, GM searches, and really just complaining about the lack of resources and payroll and trying to figure out how to keep key free agents like DeGrom, like Zach Wheeler, when they did, when they didn't, and build out the roster with value guys like Jed Lowry, like Michael Walker, guys that you hope that you can get, Rick Porcello, you could get on a good deal and you could get the best out of them. And now you're kicking off free agency, not even 24 hours since the last out was made and the Astros won the championship, and you're signing the richest contract for a closer in history. While the team across town that's been known to spend is having press conferences with their GM without a contract. It's just a a weird, surreal feeling. I'm going to wrap up real quick about the Astros. I I find it – I actually am happy they won. And I know that you're going to say, why, Mike? How is that possible? Well – I've grown to admire Dusty Baker. He is a guy that everywhere he's gone, he's made a difference. And he finally got to the promised land because the same thing that's – if you want to talk about yolks around the uh, uh, 
organization, the Mets organization's neck. Dusty has, for almost 20 years, had to live down the Russ Ortiz taking him out, taking the ball, and basically celebrating a championship as a member, as manager of the Giants. And the Angels came back and win that game six, and then they win game seven. And it's almost like everywhere he went, the Cubs had that crazy collapse against the Miami, uh, against the Marlins. They were Florida back then or Miami? Can't remember. And he goes to Cincinnati, and they were very competitive, and they made the playoffs, but they just didn't have enough. They've never had enough resources. Washington, they lose. They're underachieving. Matt Williams is a disaster as a manager. He goes in. He gets them righted. They have great regular seasons with Harper and Murphy in the middle of that lineup. They can't make it happen in the postseason. And you think he's done, you know, and he really shouldn't have been dumped from Washington. They put in Dave Martinez. I don't know the particulars of that there. But, um, you know, he comes to Houston, and just like Edwin Diaz, Edwin Diaz having these total 180. He comes into Houston. They're pariah. They lose their general manager. They lose their manager. Their players are all pariah. You don't know if their success is because of the dopey sign stealing. And I always said it was never about sign stealing. If you believe for a minute that nobody in the media could have figured out that technology and the fact that as we got into the year 2017, 2018, 2019, uh, you could get stuff on your your iPhone. You could watch games on your iPhone that you weren't able to do just four or five years earlier and that that wasn't going to have a negative impact on the game and cheating. I mean, stealing signs and finding an edge has always been part of the game. I never understood the difference between what the Astros did and what the Giants did in 1951, other than the fact they used 1951 technology, which was very basic, which was, you know, the baseball version of smoke signals, let's call it like what it is, to where these guys were using banging drums because they were watching it on TV. Danny Farquhar basically told you there was issues earlier in that, uh, season, and I still question. I'm sure it had an impact, but I still question if all these teams knew. Look, the Nats were able to overcome it and win that World Series with all that was going on. I know that the Dodgers, uh, you know, maybe there was some stuff going on with you know them taking Kershaw and Darvish's pitches. They got lit up a little bit in that World Series, but at the end, the only reason this became a thing for the media was because they didn't like the way they were treated by the Astros. The Astros were arrogant. Taubman did his thing, and he was wrong. And, you know, instead of just taking the high road, um, you know, he decides to poke the bear, uh, especially in a time when, you know, the Athletic was trying to get subscribers. And basically they went after the Astros to get subscribers and make names of themselves. It was about... The, basically the taunting of the executive that started it all. If Taubman doesn't do what he does to Sports Illustrated, they never have the sign-stealing scandal. That's my opinion. I'll go to my grave on that. And they hurt people's careers. Carlos Beltran's managerial career was hurt. In hindsight, it was probably the best thing that happened to the Mets. Who knows where they'd be today and if Buck would even be the manager. You have no idea. Maybe Beltran would be a great manager. We don't know. Um, AJ Hinch somehow was allowed to come back. Alex Cora, some, it just it, it's always sat poorly with me how the media decided who to get fired, and then they decided who should be rehired. And you know the Astros are the worst things since sliced bread. This, this, they they should be stripped of their championship. I mean, come on! I always never understood why colleges do that. Like I saw what happened. I saw Reggie Bush play 
There's no way. I mean, you could strip the titles but and the Heisman Trophy, but I saw it. I mean, come on. It doesn't make any sense. It's childish. And now it's like, well, and, and the Astros winning with Dusty and how much he had to overcome and how he had to take that team and pull them from their bootstraps. And they didn't have a great pandemic season. They made the play- playoffs. I think they might even have a losing record of around 500. And then they nearly won the World Series last year, and they're back again this year. I mean, that just shows you what a good manager could do. I mean, we're at a time. Bruce Boche's back in the dugout. I even said this last week. Like, where the, where's the next wave? I mean, how much longer are you going to ask guys in their 70s who grew up in the game and were elite managers in the mid to late 90s into the turn of the century to hang on because teams can't find anybody else? It's an interesting thing. But I'm really happy for the uh, for Dusty Baker. I'm happy for the Astros. I almost feel like it's a stick it to the, the media, which we love to do here, and uh, the sanctimony of the media and especially because it probably drives the Yankees not to, you know, there were some people actually thought, well, the Yankees should be named champion. You know, instead of worrying Aaron Judge about what the Astros did, you know, your team should worry about how they can play better. Like Buck says, play better. So that's what I'm going to wrap up on here. I hope you enjoyed this edition of the Talking Mets podcast. You know, Sugar Diaz gave us a ton to talk about as I was going to come here. And I was like, ah, you know, we kind of laid everything out in the offseason. And I was going to reiterate and talk about DeGrom, which we did. But... You know, what better way to kick off the offseason with a great baseball story and a guy getting rewarded with riches beyond his wildest dreams uh, who who just a couple of years ago might have been non-tendered and many people would have driven him to the airport if he was to get him out of here. That's how much they hated Edwin Diaz. And who knows? There's reports that maybe his brother will be – how cool would that be? They could trade for his brother. You have a Diaz in the 8th, a Diaz in the ninth. You probably won't know the difference. They kind of have the same, not the, really the same delivery, but they look kind of the same. I have to look at the, uh, Alexis Diaz a little bit. Alexei Diaz. Alexei Diaz? Alexei Diaz. A little bit closer. I think he pitched against the Mets. I can't remember. Anyway, want to thank everybody for tuning in. You can check me out all the time at the thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you can show an Apple Podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silvat, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G. Mike Silvat, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your evening. We'll be back with another Talking Mets Podcast next week. Till then, take care, everybody. Hey.